So almost exactly three years ago, it's a hot August afternoon in Darwin. Well, not exactly in Darwin. I had just driven 40 minutes out of town, and I'm standing in front of really high electrified fences in the middle of almost nowhere. I'm in front of the Wickham Point Immigration Detention Center. As an immigration lawyer, I have been here many times before, but something is different about this time. The case that I'm about to try and take on seems impossible from, the from what I've heard from in the media. Anyway, after going through a number of iron gates, I'm shown into a small room, a meeting room. I'm there to meet a young Iranian asylum seeker named Mojgan Shamsalipur. Mojgan comes through the doors escorted by guards. She's what I expect to see. She's quite timid, looks frightened. She comes in, takes a seat, and we get into an hour-long conversation. She tells me her story. She tells me how, when she was very young, she was raped by her stepfather, how she escaped brutality in her home country of Iran, how she came to Australia to be briefly detained, but then released. And she tells me how she was unable to share what she had gone through in Iran to anyone, let alone immigration officials, and how eventually that would mean that her protection visa is refused. But her mood lightens when she tells me how when she went to Brisbane and lived in the community, she was embraced by that community. She was taken in and welcomed by ordinary Australians who helped us get over her fear, get counselling, get her life back together. She enrolled at school and uh, trying to pursue her dream of one day becoming a midwife. She tells me how in school she met someone, she fell in love. They got married. She tells me her husband's name is Milad. She tells me, though, that about a month after they're married, she's taken into an immigration detention center in Brisbane. But she tells me even that was bearable because her teachers organized for her to be taken to school every day under armed guard. And then what really shocks me is what I hear next and what had transpired just days previously. She's putting her school uniform on and the whole detention center is swarmed by guards. She has an anxiety attack and she tells me her why, her, she shivers at, as she's telling me this. She tells me how she drops to the ground to be then dragged by guards to a room, sedated, dragged to a vehicle, flown to Wickham Point and given the ultimatum, make a decision to go back to your country or spend the rest of your life behind bars. She tells me how she dreams of nothing more than just being with her husband, finishing school, being a midwife. But she looks me in the eye and tells me in the firmest voice that she would rather spend the rest of her life in an immigration detention center in Australia than set one foot back in Iran. I walk out of there thinking, it is not the case that is impossible, it's the situation that is impossible. I gotta find a way because that's not the Australia that I remember. I came to Australia as a young person with my family. I was welcomed and given the opportunities to, to make something of myself. That is not the country that I've come to know and love. What I heard is a situation that cannot be tolerated. But I had no idea what to do. 
go back to my office and I start looking through every law there is, every section of the Migration Act, I find one thing and I learn one thing. Yes, she has no further appeals available to any court, but there is one person in this country who has the power to change things around, the Minister for Immigration, who has been given the power by an act to intervene and change the situation if it is in the public interest to do so, if the situation is compelling enough, if it is compassionate enough. But how do I change his mind? It would mean changing the mindset of the people around us. It would mean sharing her story as widely as we can. Thankfully, I was not alone. I got to know Mushgan's husband, Milad. He's a young man just like all of us, and he has put his life on hold from his studies as an engineering student. He was traveling around the country sharing the, his wife's dilemma. He wants nothing but his wife back. I talked to her teachers who had amassed the support of their colleagues and got enough funds to fly to Darwin with Milad, work with me on spreading the news. We share petitions, we, tell, we talk to everyone, anyone who would listen, and we find ourselves within days at the studios of ABC Darwin. It's a very early morning. We have a camera pointing at us at this radio station because it is, this is about to go national. And the first thing that the journalist plays to me is a recording of a statement made by the minister that very morning who had seen it fit to comment on this case. And here is the minister telling us, telling the nation that she's a person who has no legal avenues whatsoever. She's got to go back. There is nothing anyone can do. This is it. And I hear myself just, it was an infuriating comment because that is not true. You're the one person in this country with the power to change this girl's life. And that's the, the only comment you can make. And I hear myself saying this on air in the heat of the moment. By the end of today, the minister will have a submission before him which will constitute a legal avenue for her to resolve this situation. And I'll be making a formal request for him to use that power. That's not an easy submission to make and I needed more than a day. I run back to the office, start putting everything else on hold, ignore all my other phone calls, start smashing this thing down. At about 8.30 p.m. that evening, I hit submit, together with legal submissions, news articles, petitions, letters of support, evidence of their relationship. It is still the biggest submission I've ever made after six and a half years of practice. It's up, amounts to about 650 pages. And it goes in three parts by email to the minister's office. He'd better consider this. Someone better look at this damn thing, you know. <laughs> but then we wait. Days turn into weeks, into months. And my role in this, in this whole time, is to speak to Milad, speak to Moshgan, and tell them there is still hope. Hold on to that. My role is not as a lawyer at this stage. I'm there just like any other Australian, just going to visit Moshgan and telling her to keep, keep on, keep on. While I can see her deteriorating in front of me, I can also take some inspiration because she manages with the support of her teachers and, and the community to finish her year 12 studies from behind bars at the end of that year. I find myself kind of doing this strange thing where I'm breaching this professional client relationship and I do something that I've never done before. Um, and together with um, my fiancé, uh, as she was at the time, Alpha, we make a personal visit 
to Wickham Point. I've never done that before. I go there as a personal visitor, and it's a strange not going there with any ad- agenda, but just to meet this girl and see how she's doing. For us, as just like just like ordinary young people ourselves, I mean, for us, it's it's, it's like real perspective. What we take for granted, being together with our family, with our loved ones, is being taken away to this young person with so much potential, and it is just not right. Anyway, two months pass. About seven after seven months, what I see is an email from the minister's office, and it's a difficult email to read because it's a very brief letter, which simply says that the minister has refused to look at the case. He hasn't even considered a page of that 659 pages. And it is hard because I got to look at what next. For some reason, as hopeless as and powerless as that situation may be, for me and everyone else that I spoke to, including eventually Mushgan and Milad, who I had to break the news to, it was about looking at what's next because it's just that it does not sit right that our legal system accommodates this. So the next few days, I'm at work again, trying to look into some other legal avenue. I speak to some really smart lawyers interstate. Finally, after a couple of weeks, we might have found something. There may just be one little avenue here. We decided to do something that has never been done before, to challenge the continued lawfulness of Mushgan's detention in our highest court, the High Court of Australia. It is an application called habeas corpus. It's a bit of a dream for every junior lawyer to try and use that word at some point in our careers. (laughs) (laughs) As scary as it is, it is exciting because we start working on this court case, putting an application and affidavits together. After months of hard work, it is ready to go, but we do one last thing. We send one last letter to the minister's office and let him know, look, this is coming. We're going to challenge the lawfulness of detention If you do not act, this court case will land. By the deadline, he did not act. Nothing happened. So it was time to file. It was time for action. Here I am on a Friday afternoon. I look across from my desk. There are piles and piles of folders ready to hit the High Court of Australia the next week. I'm quite excited. But the phone rings. And it's Mojkan on the other line. By this time, she had been transferred back to Brisbane and put in a detention center there. And her voice is different. She's happy. She's elated. She's excited. And she tells me, guess what? I've just spoken to my case officer and I'm being released on Wednesday. And I'm like, that, that's great, but are you sure? I mean, this can't be right. <laughs> yes, it was right. She was going to get released on Wednesday. And I'm thinking, well, this has to be good, right? I can't help the mixed feelings because, oh God, I'm disappointed that I can't take this case anymore. <laughs> But come next Wednesday, I'm in Brisbane. I make a last-minute decision to take a red-eye flight. I'm in Brisbane. In the afternoon, in a beach somewhere in Brisbane, I'm walking out of the car, and I see a sight that I didn't think I'd see, Mushgan and Milad together with all their teachers and supporters. And these two young people that I've only seen separately are all of a sudden in a group hug with me. And I see them walking into the, into the rain. It's raining, but they don't care. They're just savoring the freedom. Mushgan and Milad have been 
free young people since then in a sense, but I'm continuing to work on that case because that is a very temporary freedom. Every six months she's got to renew her visa. Who knows what's going to happen? But three years from the time that I saw Mushkan in that room at Wickham Point, Mushkan and Millard brave it and come back to Darwin. That was just last month. They came back to Darwin. It was not easy for them to face it, but they came back. And this time they came back for me. They came back for my then fiance. They came back for our wedding. And I see them across in that reception hall, dancing the night away. They're just two young people, young and free as they should be. Thank you.